Alright, and welcome back to the Rory's Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the buy rates and TV ratings and declares our own winner in some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, back after a small hiatus where the show just couldn't quite get off the ground and running, had a few technical issues and a few life issues going on at the moment, so it's been a few weeks since you heard my wonderful voice, but here I am back again to talk mid-90s wrestling with you all. This week, we're looking at the 15th of April, 1996 episodes of Raw and Nitro. Raw got up in the ratings on this night with a 3.1 to Nitro's 2.8. We are post-WrestleMania and on the way to good friends, better enemies. And post-uncensored, but still a fair way away from Slambury, WCW's next big pay-per-view effort. Um, The wrestling landscape is about to take some big turns in the very, very near future in the upcoming months, and hopefully I'm going to have plenty of special guests on to discuss those different events with me, but for now, it seems like everything's in a little bit of a holding pattern until some of those pieces can move on the chessboard. So, we watched Raw first, we're going to head over there and have a look at what Raw had to offer on this night, and see who's dishing up the most entertainment wrestling for your Monday night viewing pleasure. Let's do it. The World Wrestling Federation. For over 50 years, the revolutionary force in sports entertainment. Starts off with little video tease of Brett the Hitman Hart that we're going to see him on this show, and he's going to break his silence after WrestleMania. The whole thing comes off a little bit heelish, so I'm interested to see where they go with this later on. And the first match to get us underway with the action is Leaf Cassidy taking on the fairly new marvelous Mark Miro, or as he's known at this time, Wildman Mark Miro. The match gets uh, underway with some good chain wrestling. Uh, advantage going to Miro on the end of every sequence. He then comes up with three arm drags and a drop kick before Leaf Cassidy pokes him in the eyes and bails outside the ring. Miro gets a hold of Leaf and Marty Jannetty on the outside for a double nog and nogger before Leaf runs around the ring until Mark Miro stupidly chases him around, comes into contact with a big clothesline from Marty Jannetty. Leaf hits a nice suplex followed by a Northern Light suplex for a two count. Before we get a drop kick from Miro for a two count and go to our first commercial break of the evening. When we come back, Leaf Cassidy hits a somersault plancha, which is quite nice, and a baseball slide. Um, before Miro hits his really weird um, spinning head scissor type move and then a somersault plancha of his own and goes all the way up to the top rope to dive off over the top of uh, Cassidy with a top rope sunset flip for the three count and long time listeners of the show will know I absolutely hate that spot because it's a little thing I like to call wrestling logic if you have jumped and somersaulted off the top rope why are you the one that is able to get the pin and not the one that is hurt it makes no sense Leaf Cassidy literally just got rolled up with a normal sunset flip you coming off the top rope and landing on your back doesn't add any extra impact and oh my god I'm gonna rant all day it doesn't make any sense but that was a finish it's um good athleticism I guess and Miro's getting somewhat of a good initial push here but he just you know well as you probably will know he doesn't really connect to the audience he never really did it for me I much preferred him as marvelous Mark Miro to be honest but it was what it was a decent opener and some good action which you don't always get on raw so I'm not going to complain too much 
From there, we go to Diesel on the phone, uh, talking about how he's the smartest man in the business, and says that at In Your House, there will be no holds barred before we go to our next commercial break. So that's an interesting development in the title situation. From here, we go to our next matchup, which is Stone Cold Steve Austin taking on Bart Gunn. Uh, we find out that Austin lost on Superstars to the Caribbean Kid, a.k.a. Savio Vega, in a mask, which isn't Quang, so go figure. Um, the match gets started with some good quick chain wrestling. Bart Gunn hits a nice headlock take get down, and the reason for him competing in singles action, we're told on commentary by Vince, is that Billy is injured. Um, we also find out that Yokozuna didn't break his leg in the attack from Vader. It's just tendon damage, so that's a good thing. But Ahmed Johnson did break his thumb during the arm wrestling melee with the British Bulldogs. So injuries galore for the WWF at this time. Back into the match, Austin sends Bart Gunn over the top rope and they brawl along the outside for a little bit. Austin hits a clothesline for a two count and a chin lock. And then a really weird flip back over the ropes with Bart Gunn held in sort of a rock bottom position. It was a very, very strange move from Austin. It was almost like... Um, I don't know what the move's called, but when you get them hooked like a rock bottom and you somersault over, I've, I've seen it quite a bit in Lucha Underground. Um, but to see Austin do it over the top rope with Bart Gunn was quite jarring. So definitely go and check that spot out if you've never seen it before. Um, we go to a commercial break from this, which is, I guess, fair enough because we're probably going to need a minute to recover from that. And when we come back, we've got a chin lock locked on, bit of a slugfest before Bart Gunn unloads with a drop kick, a backdrop, and a bulldog for the two count. He then hits a cross body block off the second rope for a two count before Ted trips him up on the outside, Ted DiBiase, of course, um, and Bart Gunn gets rolled up for a two count. He comes back with a small package for a two count and some classic Vince McMahon commentary here, which I'm sure you all know what I'm talking about. It's just your classic, he got him, he got him. No, no, he didn't. And oh, just every time catches me. I love it. I It's so bad, but so good. Definitely one of those, it's so bad, it's so good kind of thing. So Vince McMahon on commentary, definitely a big tick from me. But this is towards the end of the match now for real. And Austin sends Bart Gunn shoulder first into the ring post before locking on the million dollar dream and picking up the victory. So Austin definitely on a little bit of a roll since entering the company fairly recently. The man that's destined to be knocking on your two weeks in yes, your house. Indeed. A date with Destiny Jim Cornette, along with the man they call Vader. Let me tell you something about Destiny. There was a man named Gorilla Monsoon. He was a legend. He was a Hall of Fame superstar. The president of the World Wrestling Federation. But he stepped into the danger zone. He crossed paths with this man. As a result, he took a ride to the hospital. He was out of work for two months. He may never be the same because now he is intimidated. Wow. All in the hands of the man they call Vader. Look at that guy. Then there was Yokozuna. I know better than anybody else. Yokozuna cut a path of terror through the World Wrestling Federation. Every superstar fell in his path. More than once, he was the World Wrestling Federation champion. And all of a sudden, in a few short, scant seconds, with the sounds of bones and ligaments snapping and cracking and screams filling the air in the night, a 650-pound monster was reduced to a blibbering, screaming, squealing, crying mass of flesh at the hands of the man they call Vader. Tell him about it, Cornette. In less than two weeks, when 
the man they call Vader, meets the only four-time Intercontinental Champion, the bad guy, Razor Ramon. Whoa. Oh, yeah! Whoa! The bad guy, Chico! You're the next man to step into the danger zone! You're the next man to step in his path! And I got news for you, Razor Ramon. I may not be Gene Dixon, but I got a crystal ball. Call me Kornak the Magnificent, because I've looked into your future. And I see the career of Razor Ramon after April 28th taking a severe and sharp downward spiral. Razor Ramon may soon cease to exist. Razor Ramon has made some very bad career choices by signing a contract to get in the ring April 28th and in your house with the most powerful force that's ever been unleashed on the World Wrestling Federation. And I promise you this, Razor Ramon, you're never gonna forget April 28th. You're never gonna forget in your house. You're never gonna forget that the World Wrestling Federation assigned you the man they call Vader. Because by the time he's finished with you, the bad guy, oozing machismo, will be at Aunt B's in Mayberry at a quilting society meeting because he's got a single-minded purpose and path to the top and nobody's gonna stop him because I own him, operate him, and manipulate him. But even I can't fully control him. There's only one thing that remains to be answered. What time is it? Oh, yeah. For the bad guy, Razor Ramon, April 28th, and in your house. <laughs> it's the end of time for the bad guy. I think I allowed... Uh... I'll let you guys decide there whether or not you think there were some thinly veiled digs at Razor Ramon, who signed the contract on his way out to WCW, I believe, by this point. Um, but it is exciting. Vader versus Razor is something that I think most fans would get... would like the sound of so looking forward to that one coming up we get a bit of a tease of Bret Hart situation once more go to a commercial break and we come back and we see some videos and still shots of Sonny just basically hyping her up for being a bit sexy so it is what it is from there we go to what is to be our main event of the evening Savio Vega challenging Goldust for his Intercontinental Championship a real highlight of Goldust's entrance here is him licking the Intercontinental Championship which just made my skin tingle it was beautiful um some good theatrics uh kisses and rubs for savio vega so gold dust obviously he the biggest fan of savio vega since my good friend mark decided to have a picture printed on a shirt to show his dedication to the man we get some chain wrestling gold dust backs up and rubs him some more including a bit of ass and crutch action just to really drive home exactly what message he's trying to get across to savio uh, he powders to the outside and runs away Vince McMahon queries whether or not Goldust is wearing brief, uh, briefers, boxes or briefs. So, yep, cool, we're heading there. Then Jerry Lawler says, it's a secret, Victoria's secret, which I found to be quite a good line, actually, if I'm being honest. When we get back to some real wrestling, Savio Vega hits a side slam, some punches, uh, gets a two count before we go to a commercial break. When we come back, Goldust hits a clothesline off the top rope, uh, flying hip attack a la Asuka in this day and age before locking on a camel clutch. This doesn't get him anywhere, but he gets on the microphone and says, if everyone in the crowd doesn't shut up, he's going to come out and kiss each and every one of them, which was a bit of a standard gold dust heat garner back in the day. Savio Vega hits a crossbody for a two count, a backdrop before going for a second, but gold dust hits, his, uh, hits a big boot for a two count. A sunset flip from Savio gets a two before Goldust is crutched and Savio Vega hits a super kick to a sitting Goldust, which was quite cool. Uh, 
Gold Dust blocks a super kick, a uh, superplex, sorry, with a kiss and pushes Sabio off the top rope. Uh, comes off the top, but eats a boot when coming off with the fist drop towards Sabio Vega. Savio hits an inverted atomic drop and a couple of clotheslines before we go to another commercial. When we come back, JR is plugging the superstar line. Savio Vega hits a roll-up for a two-count and goes flying into the referee. This brings in Marlena, who sends in the belt to Gold Dust. He misses and eats another super kick. Savio Vega checks to make sure the second ref is looking and then nails Gold Dust with the belt for a very clunky finish. But the referee counts the one, two, three. Um, the original ref, that is, and Savio Vega is declared the winner and the new Intercontinental Champion. The second referee, of course, disagrees with this, having blatantly seen Savio hit him with the belt because he waited for him to be looking, and he goes and raises Gold Dust's hand. So we've got a bit of an old dusty finish with the two referees disagreeing here. This brings out Gorilla Monsoon. He announces that Gold Dust will be stripped of the Intercontinental Championship, but it is not going to Savio Vega. It's being declared vacant. So I'm not quite sure how they get that from this, but sure. And we're also told we'll have a rematch next week for the now vacant Intercontinental Championship. So I guess Gold Dust could not lose it and yet regain it, which is very, very strange. Um, I'm wondering if they actually did this so that the Ultimate Warrior, um, when they first did it, I was wondering, sorry, if the ultimate, they did this so the Ultimate Warrior could pin him without having to worry about the belt. But I guess the fact that they're probably going to put it back on him before that match takes place takes away that idea. So who really knows what's going on here? Um, when we come back away from the action, we see Bret Hart um, swearing on a Coliseum home video, presumably after WrestleMania and storming out. He then talks about the Iron Match and talks about how he was screwed. So... I get the feeling this probably won't be the last time Bret Hart talks about being screwed in a match with Shawn Michaels, but what the hey. Uh, he talks about how he could had offers to go elsewhere, but he didn't really want to go to a minor league or anything like that and takes a few sort of very subtle digs at WCW. Very good timing since Vince is going to lose a lot of his top guys there shortly. Um, he talks about how they're throwing a lot of dollars around, but that's not what motivates him. He wants a title shot if he comes back, and that's pretty much where we leave Monday Night Raw. So a little bit of a cold end um, with Brett sort of leaving his future still very much up in the air. But overall, a fairly easy watch of a show. Let's head over to Nitro and see whether or not they were ripped off with that ratings loss if they had the better show, or if it was completely justified and Raw had the better product on the night. Nitro opens with Arn Anderson, Anderson and Kevin Sullivan stood in the ring having made the jobber entrance, but don't worry, I just gave them back some of their music there, kind chap that I am, and Hulk Hogan comes out to face him in a two-on-one handicap match. I wonder where this is going to go. So, two-on-one from the jump, and we have... Um we're told that, um, sorry, Booty Man got hurt on Saturday night. That's why this is a handicap match and not a tag match. Um, Hogan clotheslines Anderson out of the ring and puts a figure four on Kevin Sullivan pretty early. Arn Anderson tries to make a save, but Hogan transitions into having a figure four on him. We're also told if Hogan wins, he gets five minutes with one of the managers of their choice, or if the heels win, they get five meters with um, the Booty Babe, which is a little bit strange. I'm not quite sure what all this is about. Um, Hogan's completely dominating and no sells a chair shot before 
before just taking the chair away and hitting both the heels with it. Um, they both just sort of powder away and, and eat it. It's pretty crap. Um, Jimmy Hart gets involved as well, so it's now three on one, but Hogan still dominates. He slams both the heels, hits a leg drop, and picks up the one, two, three. And yes, you heard it. Hulk Hogan took on two fairly big names in WCW, completely dominated the entire match, including no selling a chair shot and interference from a manager, and picked up the three count with his finisher. So I am completely shocked that that was where it went. I did not see that one coming. He then gets Liz and Woman in the ring and starts to sort of stalk them a little bit. Um, but Woman hides behind Liz, and then the um, he decides to change his mind, and he goes for Jimmy Hart instead. Jimmy Hart tries to get out of there, but no good. He gets hit with an atomic drop and a very, very botched big boot. It really did miss. Uh, before the Giant comes out, Choke slams Hogan, who completely no sells the choke slam. Fuck right off. Hits a giant with the boot and a slam, and then gets tapped on the shoulder by Gene Oakland and picks up Gene Oakland for a slam before realizing the error of his ways and putting Gene down. He then cuts a bit of a promo, uh, but the mic isn't working, so it is very shit. And just basically, we end scene with Hogan having beat up a whole heel stable on his own without breaking a sweat. And then, strangely enough, we get Pyro and the show open after this match. So it is a very, very weird first sort of segment to Nitro here. I get they're probably going for that sort of anything-can-happen feel with going straight into a Hogan match and, I'm guessing, trying to win the ratings war as well. But, yeah, it came across a little bit awkward and unpolished, if I'm being completely honest. From there, we go to our next matchup, which is Public Enemy versus the Nasty Boys. The Nasties jump them on the entrance and hit them with chairs and trash cans. And again, you probably know where this is heading. Anytime Public Enemy and Nasty Boys have been in matches on this timeline, it's just been outside brawling with weapons with no real match to speak of. And we get that shitty double screen feature again, where in the middle of your TV, about a quarter of it is one set of the two wrestlers and about a quarter of it is the other. And the rest is all wasted screen because you know, splitting it down the middle would be too much to ask. And again, I just implore everyone, especially if you're of my age or around my age, don't think of it as having your big flat screen LCD now where a chunk of that would be okay and a chunk on the other side would be okay. Think if you had the little box TV that I had when I was old enough to be watching this and how small that picture would be if they did this back then, which is when they were doing it. We get a um, bin shot and we get... um, a double shoulder block, lots of weapons, stiff shots all around. It's not pretty. Uh, hip toss on Rocco through the table. Um, doesn't last, so and we get more split screen. Um, Bischoff tells us, let's get a crowd shot. Uh, there's not one person seated, to which we look at the crowd, and the entire front row is sat down watching the match. We get garbage through all the ring, emptying out the bins they're using, so they're not like you. WWF Hardcore Attitude Era, freshly shiny bins from under the ring. These are actual bins with rubbish in them by the looks of it. Um, It's quite appropriate for the match we're watching anyway. Uh, Brian Nobbs hits a splash off the top through a table for the one, two, three. It was pretty much the same match you've seen a dozen times now with these guys. And then Public Enemy don't sell the loss. They just jump straight back on them after the match. They knock Brian Nobbs off the apron to the guardrail. And Rocco flips over the top rope onto Jerry Sags, uh, sorry, into 
Johnny Grunge threw Jerry Sags on a table. That's a bit of a mouthful, but that was what they did. Um, and it's all done for the replay because this week we have a replay sponsored by Twix called Twix's Sweet Revenge. So we needed to get someone, get their heat back after a match for that to make any sense. From there, we go to a commercial break. And we come back and it is going to be Earl Robert of Eaton taking on the Macho Man Randy Savage. Macho Man attacks early and backdrops Earl Robert out of the ring and hits an elbow for a two count. Um, before we see someone dress up as Fred Flintstone in the crowd, which was quite strange. I'm wondering if maybe the Flintstones movie was coming out around then. I never watched it, so I'm not quite sure. Um, Earl Robert fights back with an eye poke and then drops a leg onto Savage and does a bit of a Ric Flair strut before putting on a figure four, so very interesting. Um, while he has the figure four on, though, it all becomes apparent what he's doing because he gets a hold of a four horseman shirt and shows it to the Macho Man. This immediately triggers Macho Man to escape, hits a slam, chases off the manager, William, I think his name was, backdrops Earl Robert on the floor, and then hits a top rope elbow back in the ring for a three count. Um, but tosses the ref, um, uh, sorry, yeah, sorry, tosses the ref out and then heads back up top for another elbow. My writing is really atrocious. When you hear me pause like that, it's simply because I can't read my own writing. I really do need a producer for this show. If someone would like to move to Australia and do all the work except for the talking, that would be really good. So feel free to take that offer up. Completely unpaid position, but I think it'd be very rewarding for spending a lot of time in my company. If you like watching old wrestling, playing FIFA on the PlayStation, and watching the Premier League, then this is definitely the job for you. Anywho, a bunch of baby faces run out to the ring to stop Macho Man coming off with another elbow, and in a very cool spot, he jumps over the top of those baby faces and lands an elbow, but this does allow them to grab a hold of him. They pin him down, and then cops come out and cuff him, so I didn't know after the match, attacks were enough for an arrest, and not just Twix's sweet revenge. So, you know, a little bit nonsensical, but that's okay. We're going to a commercial break, and when we come back, Eric Bischoff is shilling a film called The Great White Hype. I've never seen it. Let me know if it's any good, if you have seen it. And then he continues to say everyone in the arena is stood up, despite the fact that clearly everyone in camera shot is not stood up. We go to our final contest, our main event. It's Ric Flair and the Giant taking on Sting and Lex Luger, whose super best friends angle has continued to grow quite nicely for the last few months. Ric Flair flirts with Deborah McMichael, sat in the crowd on the way out. And this, of course, allows Mongo to bash him a bit and Heenan to rub that in, so it's pretty funny. Um, we get Ric Flair and Sting starting the match. Um, two guys... Um, have their friends in the crowd in torture racks, which I found mildly hilarious, just looking up to the crowd and seeing two guys up in torture racks in about the eighth row. So go back and look for that if you do watch this. Sting and Flair, of course, have a good quick sequence, as they always did, before Sting press slams him and hits a drop kick, uh, then drop kicks Giant off the apron, then press slams Ric Flair out of the ring onto the Giant, who sends him back in rather violently. So no love being shown from the big man there. Uh, we get Lex in, and he presses Flair out again, um, and Giant once again tosses him back in. So, yeah, this is getting pretty funny. Um, they then have the Giant come into the ring and take over before we go to a commercial break. Um, when we come back, he gets some nice kicks, and then a um, tosses Lex around the ring, who screams quite nicely, the old Lex Luger selling there. Mongo uh, comes up with a pearl of a line on commentary. He says, last time I saw someone get the boots like that, Rodney King was begging, can't we all just get along? So, yeah, that's 
pretty decent line for Mongo. Giant hits a suplex before Flair comes in, and Giant comes back in. Quick tag again to Flair, who puts on the figure four. Giant hits a nice press slam. Um, the heels work over Lex Luger for a while before Flair accidentally gets caught up top, as he usually does. Hot tag to the Stinger, who comes in and hits a superplex before all men come back in. But then Woman comes out and throws coffee towards Lex Luger, who ducks. It hits Sting, and there's a disqualification. But in the confusion, Giant choke slams both of them. And the commentators sign off um, with Bischoff cutting off Bobby Heenan before he can get a line in. So seemed a bit rushed, the ending there. But I'm guessing it was designed to show some dissension down the line for Lex and Sting. So this is probably one of the highlights of WCW particularly in this time frame, all the WCW stuff mostly I'm watching is all new to me. And Sting and Lex Luger's interactions has been by far the highlight of the show. Um, The only other things really coming close to it are when we get a really good cruiserweight match. We have seen so far on the timeline, the likes of Sabu, Eddie Guerrero, Mr. JL, um, a little bit of Benoit as well. Um, But yeah, outside of those cruiserweight matches, Sting and Luger, definitely the best thing in WCW for my money at this time. And I guess special mention as well to Macho Man's craziness. I do always love that. That will do it for this episode. So back on the 1996 timeline for now, but there is a very quick, sharp turn coming up for the next episode, um, which I'm hoping will be out within the week, but I am off to Sydney to complete my football coaching A license. So it may not be based on that, but just to give you guys all a little hint as to what's coming up, The network added recently Thunder and then even more recently Heat. So I'm like, well, I've never seen an episode of Thunder and I've never seen an episode of Heat. So I picked the debut week for Heat and the corresponding Thunder and I compared them off against each other, the two biggest companies' B-shows. So that was very interesting. I enjoyed both shows for two completely different reasons. I won't give too much away, but definitely something worthwhile. As far as other shows in the pipeline, there's one more Raw and Nitro before we get to the next um, WWF pay-per-view, so hopefully I'll be reviewing that with Carl. Richie and I will catch up again sometime in the near future. Um, I don't think either of us have really started watching any more old wrestling recently. And um, I do have half a show. Well, I have a full show recorded with Duncan um, on the Impact and Raw timeline. Unfortunately, for some reason, I'm still having a lot of technical difficulties, and the first half of the show is fine, but the second half of the show goes back to that weird echo, which I'm sure you guys have heard at parts of the show sometimes, and I really don't understand how it just starts happening halfway through the show. So we're going to attempt to re-record that part of the show. Um, Won't hide it from anyone and try and cover it up, Um, but we just have to be able to hook up for a time. So we have half a really good show, and we're going to try and fix the other half before I put it out because I know I have put a few shows out where the quality has dropped and I'm really loath to keep doing that. I am trying everything I can think of to work on it. Um, I've began on some of my Skype calls muting my microphone while the other person's talking and I think I saw some good results with that last time but it's still not perfect. So if anyone has any tips, I was obviously very tongue-in-cheek saying I could use a producer before, but if anyone does have any real technical expertise with this stuff, please feel free to get in touch. I'm not too proud to take advice from anybody. I'm always happy for suggestions, good, bad, and ugly on the show, as long as you leave me a five-star review on iTunes and don't leave your criticism there, as only one douchebag has done so far. Um, But yes, please do get in touch if you have anything. I will stop rambling for now and just say it is good to be back and chatting to you all. Um, The... 
listener numbers have been fantastic recently so thank you all for your continued support and feel free to get in touch and have a chat it can be a bit lonely doing a one-man podcast sometimes thanks again and i'll talk to you all soon bye
tonight. We ain't going nowhere. We gonna stay right here. We ain't going nowhere. We gonna stay right here. Uh huh. Going Stop now, cause it's bad boy for life.